0: Hello, and welcome to Reenergize. This is the place to discover more about emerging tech in offshore renewables and how we will meet our future energy needs. My name is Vicky Coy, and I'm the Head of Innovation Projects at the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, one of the UK's leading research and innovation centres for offshore renewables. We connect agile technology developers and academics and industry players, all working to accelerate the UK's wind, wave and tidal energy sectors. Tidal energy technologies and projects have progressed significantly in the last five years, with world-firsts being deployed in the waters around the UK in flagship projects that seek to reduce costs and de-risk technologies, all on the pathway towards commercialization. And as we begin our road to recovery from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, the UK has the opportunity to reap the economic benefits of tidal energy, including good green job creation, growth in the UK supply chain, regeneration of our coastal communities and exports in technologies, intellectual property and all the services that wrap around those. In this month's episode I'm delighted to be joined by three experts in tidal energy and climate change to better understand how marine energy can contribute to achieving our decarbonising targets and really cement itself as an economic opportunity for the UK. And so without further ado let's meet today's guests.
1: Welcome all. My name is Sue Barr. I'm currently chair of the UK Marine Energy Council. I have about 21 years experience in marine energy, both in technology and project development. And I'm also developing a tidal project in West Wales.
2: Hi, my name is John Marr and I'm a director of business development at Nova Innovation. Nova Innovation is one of the world's leading tidal energy companies based here in the UK. And I've been with them for eight years now.
3: Hello, I'm Chris White, uh, University of Strathclyde. I'm uh, head of the Centre for Water, Environment, Sustainability and Public Health. My research focuses on the changing climate and in particular, the impact of extreme weather uh, on the built-in natural environments um, and how we can build resilience to the changing climate around us.
0: Okay, so I think if we start with giving our listeners some of the context of the tidal sector and the projects and the research that you're working on, and just to kind of help give a picture of what the status quo is in the UK at the moment. So Sue, maybe if you could tell us a wee bit about your work on the Tiger project.
1: Yeah, so the UK's had a, a leading position, both in wave and tidal technology up to date. And more recently we engaged in the Interreg Channel Launch program, which is a program that looks at delivering um, projects across the English Channel region. Uh, we were successful with the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, the industry and academia to deliver 18 megawatts of tidal stream technology around the coastline of the UK. Um, It's a 45 million euro project. It's the biggest ever project and its acronym is TIGER, which stands for the Tidal Industry Energizer Project. And ultimately what this project is aiming to do is get a number of developers into the water. So get technology wet and get it generating electricity and share that learning both across the research platforms and also the developers who are trying to bring technology to commercialization. It's a really exciting project. We're hoping that by March 2023, we'll deliver 18 megawatts of tidal stream technology Into the water and share that learning. So ultimately, it's to help the industry develop the technology, drive down their levelised cost of energy, and really let's see tidal energy producing electricity and sharing the results across France and the UK. So, a really exciting project, both for us and for France going forward.
0: And I think, as well, that's the biggest interreg project of all the interreg projects that um, have been funded. So, really exciting opportunity for Catapult and its partners as well. John, We've got a couple of exciting projects with you as well, the OnFET project and the Element project, both of them pulling in world firsts. Do you want to tell us a wee bit about um, your work on those projects and Nova's lead?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're very exciting projects. So the Shetland Tidal Array uh, is the world's first offshore tidal array and it's home to some of these exciting projects we've mentioned, primarily OnFET and Element. Uh, So OnFET is really about doubling the size of the, the world's first array and it's it's about optimizing the layout of the turbines within the array. So we're actually going to be moving some of those turbines around to move closer together. So we can understand the wake effects and and interaction. That's really going to be a world first because there's there's, there's lots of computer modeling, but nothing in the way of real world experience. And so it's really gonna be transformation for the sector. Onfet overall involves um, it's a 20 million euro project. It's one of the EU's flagship, and there's a number of partners in there seven European partners, including Catapult. So we're, we're very, very honoured to be working alongside you. Element is another project. So that's all about using artificial intelligence to improve the performance of, of tidal turbines. And that involves 11 partners, again, from across uh, Europe. Both of these projects are focused on. Uh, driving down the cost of tidal energy. So ONFET is on track to reduce it by 40% and ELEMENT is reducing cost by a further 17%. So both really, really groundbreaking, exciting projects.
0: And it's amazing to be involved in them as well. Chris, from your side, I know you're coming at it from a slightly different angle in that you're not looking at technologies, but you're looking at climate and the potential effects of that on projects that will consider... Tidal technologies, so projects that are looking on a horizon of kind of twenty to thirty years times so when we're going to be a net zero economy, and looking at the climate effects of that. So, can you tell us a bit about your research in that space, and how it might impact on the projects and the technologies that we're talking about in the tidal sector?
3: The, the work that I do has sort of two threads to it, two areas of focus, I suppose. One is. Uh, Very much what you're just describing there, which is to understand how the climate is going to change over the next 20, 30, 50, even up, uh, up to 80 years ahead, and therefore it's the application, I suppose, the interpretation of that information of what that might mean for different sectors. And increasingly, as the growth of uh, renewable energies are coming to the fore, the use of that information becomes uh, really important. So a lot of the work that, that I've been doing has been in the space of understanding, I suppose, the hazards and the impacts and how they may change over that longer timescale. But the other side of that as well is more actually on, on the weather forecasting timescales. In a changing climate, a lot of the predictions are, of course, uncertain in the, in the longer term. But what we do know is that uh, extreme weather events are far more likely to occur or be more severe when, when they do. And so, some of the work that I've been doing, uh, I co led one of the sub on sub seasonal timescales, which is a forecasting timescale. It sort of goes beyond weather forecasts, but it sort of sits below the, the climate timescales. I uh, co lead a, a sub project in there, which looks at applications for the World Meteorological Organization, which is to look at how information on longer range timescales can be used and applied um, across different sectors. And again, here, the the renewable energy sector is a key sector on which decisions are made on those longer range timescales.
0: So we've set the context there of the leading tidal projects that we're working on, as well as the kind of climate context, and I guess the research that's happening in that space. So if we bring it back to now, in the wake of the pandemic that we've all been working through over the last kind of 18, well, 12 to 18 months um, and thinking about the messaging around building back better and green growth how can the tidal sector be at the forefront of that Build Back Better agenda, kind of thinking about the coastal communities that we work in, the supply chains that we work in? What are your thoughts around how the sector could take advantage of the green recovery? John, if I pose that question to you first, in terms of NOVA, what are you thinking about or how is that shaping um, your plans over the next wee while?
2: I think it's really important to recognise that the UK really is leading the world in tidal energy. We are already harnessing the immense power of the seas around our shores and reducing carbon emissions. NOVA is also exporting overseas. We've got a project in Canada, which is helping to boost jobs, manufacturing and our economy. So we can build back better by doing with tidal energy in the UK, what Denmark achieved with wind energy.
1: Yeah, I think my response to that would be not what can green recovery do for the marine energy sector, but what can the marine energy sector do for green recovery? We know that the deployment sites, particularly for tidal stream, are in peripheral economies. We know that this sector can support the supply chain in areas that need support, so our manufacturing capabilities our offshore activity. So we have great experience in the UK of putting technology in the water, of building energy projects offshore. And we want to build on that and make sure that we deliver the jobs and the socioeconomic benefits that can be derived from a new industry. Calculations that have been um, undertaken both through the offshore renewable energy catapult and with the sector have indicated nearly 30,000 jobs coming from this sector almost immediately. And we know that that will only grow as we see potential potentially more projects coming offshore. My feeling is, and my understanding of this sector is, we already have the capability to do great things with marine energy here, and we need to capitalise on that and make sure that we continue, as John said, to maintain that lead in the global scene for marine energy, but deliver those benefits to the UK. We have a dual front of needing to decarbonize, to build back better post-COVID, and also in the face of Brexit, so those export potentials for a global market that's estimated to be billions of pounds potentially around the globe that we can export technology into are really critical to understand the importance of this sector. We do marine energy here in the UK better than anywhere else and in order to help build back better and build the economy we need to deliver this sector and we need to work together
0: to do that. And Sue in your position in the Marine Energy Council you've been at the forefront of leading the discussions with government on their support. Do you see that changing now um, over the next year or so?
1: I do. And I think it's projects like John's and other projects where technology is live in the water generating electricity that have helped the policy landscape for energy production We need more electricity on our grid and we have excellent indigenous resources around our our islands. And what we need to be able to do is capture that kinetic energy, turn it into electricity, and at the same time, make sure that that cost of electricity is comparable or is at least competitive with other forms of renewable energy. And the sector is driving that discussion. What we've done as the UK Marine Energy Council is present evidence as to why the UK government should include marine energy in its already existing revenue systems, so marine energy um, should be considered as another form of renewable energy to help support our decarbonisation. And we think that the UK government is now taking a position that it understands more about the sector and it understands how it can support it in terms of revenue going forward. So we're hopeful that the ability for marine energy to support a blue economy here in the UK is looking good. And again, we all have to work together collaboratively to make sure that that message is delivered and that the good work that all of our projects are are, are proving is given to government in a way that they can understand and that they can make the relevant policy changes to support us going forward. So we think we've got a positive future.
0: And John, maybe I can ask you in terms of the tidal contribution to the UK's ambition to achieve net zero, so our decarbonisation targets, how do you think that the tidal sector can contribute to that?
2: The tidal sector can have a huge impact. Uh, I think the key thing to, to recognise here is we need a complementary portfolio approach. So we recognize this world leading position in offshore wind. There's also solar potential. But the thing, thing is the, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And the key thing about tidal energy is the predictability. So you could know how much you'll be generating to the minute a month from now, a year from now, five years from now. And that's that's invaluable. And it's and it's significant as, as we look forward. We can see we're transitioning away from coal. Coal generation within the UK is falling away, nuclear is in decline. And those are two, two big important sources of power, significant in the baseload supplies. So we're gonna need a new source of baseload supply to help fill the gap. And uh, the tide has this great predictability and it can form the backbone of the supply system. So if you take into account tidal range, uh, tidal barrage and tidal stream technologies, there's, there's capacity there to make up 10% of the UK's energy supply, which is massive. And then if you layer on top of that, the potential across the world uh, for exports, it's just huge. And as I mentioned earlier about Denmark, Denmark leads the world in wind technology in terms of their exports wind in 2019, it was over 8 billion euros. Yeah. And the number of people employed in the sector is just huge. You know, we want to see that same thing here in the UK. And we've got all the ingredients, we've got the natural resources, we've got the world leading the technology, And what we really need is just the government to send that signal and get behind revenue support, as other countries like Canada have done, and then we can really, really have a big, big impact to build back better.
0: So one of the things I think that is quite interesting about the work that that Chris is looking at, so if we think about the tidal sector, it's exactly what you've just mentioned, John, it's the predictability, the certainty for years and years in advance of what the potential resource and electricity that could be extracted out of the sea that that Can give a baseload power into the UK, but when we're looking at horizons of from 2030 over to 2050, we will take into account changes in the climate, changes in weather patterns. So, Chris, from your research, I mean, what do you think that the effects might be, or, or what are the things that you're starting to look at in that space that could affect the projects that John and Sue are looking at?
3: It's a really good question that because the driver decarbonizing our economy um, is strong. In the last couple of years, it's become front and center in in a lot of what we do. It's the other side of that, which is the climate resilience and building side, which perhaps hasn't had the same level of attention. And so the impacts of a changing climate very much need to be integrated into the thinking that goes behind these long-term planning and infrastructure projects over the next 20, 30, 40 years. We all know that weather produces high impacts, whether that's high wind uh, on infrastructure, coastal inundation and tidal surges. These are predictable to some degree, but we're living in a a climate that's becoming, let's say, increasingly risky. And when you, I think, match that up with, there's quite a bit of talk there from both John and Sue about we're a, a hotbed of innovation and technology, we have the skills here in this country, and then exporting that to other countries, I think that means then as a sector, tidal energy is going to be working in increasingly risky places. So when you match those up with a changing climate, the need, therefore, to uh, understand the impacts of climate on both the infrastructure and the supply chains and the distribution of the energy so it's a package approach I suppose that looks at both the, the benefits of which there are a lot as well as the future proofing side of it.
0: Yeah and I think from the sector side we know that operations and maintenance can potentially be quite a high cost element of working in the offshore environment and particularly the subsea offshore environment. Um, so in terms of climate change adaptation, I wonder whether Sue, is that something that you've looked at in your projects yet or and if you have, how have you considered it?
1: So we know that the tidal stream environment is, is challenging. You have large volumes of water moving at speed dictated by the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon. That's where we derive the predictable nature of it. And as Chris mentioned, you know, we are likely to see changes in that environment, not so much to the tidal resource itself, but to our operating conditions offshore. And I think long-term the industry is very adaptable. We've seen high levels of redundancy in engineering. So most projects at the moment are over-engineered to allow for bigger pushes, bigger strains, bigger loads onto technology. And we're starting to see those be better understood. We're also starting to understand more clearly where we can really make those big savings or those big step changes in engineering. And what is really, really clear at this point in technology development is without putting technology in the water, all of those future challenges can't be met. So we need to have technology that is wet, that is operating, that is being exposed to these changing environments, both the environmental and and the physical environment around it, to make sure that we have good data, good knowledge and good capacity to meet those challenges. So yes, I think we are looking at it. I think it's a natural part of designing technology for these rigorous energetic environments. But I also think we need to almost go and try and see We need to break technology. We need to find components. We need to find methods of deployment. We need to look at our reliability and our longevity in the water. And we need to gather that data and meet that challenge. And I want to reiterate the point that I think we have the best engineers, the best knowledge capacity, and the best ability to meet those challenges. And we need to optimize on the projects we have in the water at the moment by sharing information, sharing learning to make sure that we can really rise to the challenge of not only a changing, Electrical market, but also, as Chris rightly says, those changing receiving environments that we're going to have to be even more challenged in as we move forward. So, I, I do again think it's a positive.
0: And, John, I guess your engineers, you know, you've got some of those world leading engineers in your teams, and they are deploying technologies now, as you said, in the OnFet project. So, looking at tidal array design and moving those turbines around to optimise them. How much in terms of climate or sea changes or O&M changes and the effects of climate on that are you considering at the moment or are you, like Sue says, really focused on getting that cost reduction and understanding how to optimise your O&M?
2: I think the key thing here is recognising the stage the industry is at. You know, so, so tidal is one of the most powerful forces on the planet, the tide. We've only recently been able to harness it. You know, so you've got a whole massive untapped market to plug into. If you look at wind in the eighties, you know, the way the wind industry evolved, it was by starting small and scaling up. That's ultimately the companies which succeed and prevail. And that's where Denmark achieved its world lead. So what we're doing at Nova Innovation, we're focused on making tidal energy work. And we've done that. We've, like I say, produced power for more than five years now, and now we're focused on driving down the cost of, of tidal energy. And, and as you know with OnFET, um, the aim there is it by 40%. We're well on track. And so that's what we're doing. I think it'd be good to focus some, on some of those innovations. Um, so our technology is based upon clever simplicity. So the key thing is reliability. And one of the best ways to improve reliability is to remove components which could potentially fail. And an example of that would be our new turbine, which we installed in 2020. So we've now got four turbines operating in the OnFET project. And that fourth turbine uses a direct drive tidal turbine, and that removes the requirement for a gearbox. So you have a few moving parts, which enhances its reliability. Critically, it extends the period between maintenance intervals from one year to at least two years. And and again, that further reduces the cost. So it makes it more efficient and more reliable. Uh, Another example of O&M would be the turbine designed for in a modular capacity. So that enables you to hot swap certain modules very quickly. So that makes the O&M even quicker even simpler and even cheaper. And then we've also made all sorts of new innovations about the substructure, how that makes wood in the cell. We could go on. What we see is, let's focus on on this massive global opportunity. Let's focus on driving down the costs. And I think some of these um, climate effects, maybe 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line, but at that stage, the technology will have moved on so it's even further. So we expect to see tidal evolve in the same way that wind has evolved over a 20 to 30 year period.
0: And John, I guess one of the things with Nova and the technology that you're looking at is your supply chain. So you very much have a UK and European supply chain, which feeds into that Build Back Better agenda. So can you talk us through a wee bit about your supply chain?
2: So in terms of our supply chain, we've found it best to work when we have suppliers close to us, where we have good relationships, uh, and that's really enabled a small SME like Nova to deliver the world's first offshore tidal array. And perhaps a really good example of that is a boat builder in Shetland, who came to speak to us when he, when he learned that we're developing a tidal turbine in the water in, in Shetland, in Blue Moor Sound. And he said, I want to build your blade for you. And we said, well, really, we need to go to an experienced provider. There are specialist companies who do this. And he said, no, I insist. And so what we've done, we've built up a relationship with the, the boat builder in Shetland, and he's moved on. That that has been a very strong partnership and he's since supplied all the blades for our turbines in shetland so it's a great example of a local supply chain helping the local economy helping develop a local resource to address the global climate crisis
0: john i think i'm right in saying as well i mean that the boat builder now he's been approached for advice from other organizations and teams across the world actually so not just from the UK but actually the experience that he has got from working with your team is now being exported outside the UK shores as well.
2: Yes it's a really great success story.
0: Moving on a wee bit and thinking about COP26 and the decarbonisation targets that have been set now by the UK government and the Scottish government and kind of thinking about the context of tidal and the research that Chris is looking at. Sue and John, you've talked about um, focusing on optimizing and reducing costs in the tidal technologies. But in terms of thinking about Chris and that climate piece and in terms of research around understanding forecasting and climate change, what are the things that you would like researchers to look at in that space that would help support your technologies and your projects? Um, Sue, I might ask you first if that's okay.
1: Yeah, so I think there's some really interesting work to be done on how we can meet the the climate needs and also the the decarbonisation needs. We've talked about the predictable nature of tidal energy, and we know that comes from this gravitational pull of, of water, which provides kinetic energy that we try to extract for electricity. In terms of our future, in terms of COP26, it's knowing what's over that horizon, Why is that important? Why is this predictable aspect important to electrifying our energy systems? So there's a lot of novel parts of tidal where it's placed around the UK coastline or on any coastline, its ability to remove us from diesel generation, potentially its ability to work very well with baseload storage. Um, We know through the European Marine Energy Center, we've seen hydrogen production from offshore renewable energy from marine energy. And also this idea that we might be able to do something around supporting the base load of the energy system. And we've got to think about that in geographic terms where is that electricity generated and it's distributed generation in areas where you wouldn't normally expect to be generating electricity and what is the value of that to operating our grid systems to decarbonizing we have over one gigawatt of least tidal energy sites in the UK that could potentially be developed with a route to market and I think it's projecting what that means in terms of our ability to reduce costs our ability to operate the grid and our ability to elect electrify the system. I'll let Nova speak to, I'll let John speak to uh, his great project with, with car charging, but there is a really great example of where tidal energy can provide almost immediate proximate to source electricity. And I think that's where tidal energy in particular differs from other forms of energy generation. And for COP26, we need to be showcasing the technology here in the UK. We need to be highlighting that export potential and highlighting the status of the industry. We are no longer embryonic. There is over 40 gigawatt hours of electricity on the grid here in the UK from tidal stream technology. We need to show how we can reduce those costs and we make this a commercial technology that fits in with those decarbonisation needs. So we've got a lot of work to do, but I think we've got a really great story to tell.
0: Yeah, and that's a really strong link. Ken. I mean, one of the key things, I guess, of decarbonising our economy is the electrification of it. And that will pull in lots of EV, So electric vehicles, surface transport will be electrified. And John, as you mentioned, you've got a fantastic world first in Shetland. Do you want to tell us a wee bit more about that?
2: sure yes uh, no it's uh, uh, tidal powered cars it's a, it's a fantastic it's, it's really got so much traction because our turbines have been sending power to homes and businesses in Shetland for five years now but actually installing the ev charger earlier this year and seeing cars powered by the tide it's something people see as tangible they can connect with and it really is a glimpse into the future of what society will look like in 10, 20, 30 years. So it's really, really exciting. As well as the EV point, what we're doing in Shetland is displacing diesel generation. And so that's massive. And coupled with that, uh, what we've also done at our site in Shetland is install energy storage. As Sue mentioned, uh, with a tidal profile, it's predictable. You have the the rise and fall of the tide, the ebb and flow. And during the the slack periods, there's a period where it pauses. But if you combine that with energy storage, that's where you can really have baseload renewable power. That's sort of the holy grail of renewable energy. What that provides is the key, what you can supply to uh, coastal communities around the world, especially in poorer areas where they're currently dependent on diesel generation, which is expensive, which is dirty, which is polluting, which is noisy. And using a combination of of tidal turbines with energy storage gives you baseload power, but it also gives you dispatchable power which can be varied to meet consumer needs. And so that that really is a, a massive, massive breakthrough.
0: So you've essentially got that future microgrid system happening for real in Shetland. So the sort of thing that we can expect to see in kind of 10, 15 years time as we really move towards that decarbonised, decentralised energy system.
2: Absolutely, Vicky. Yes, yes. It's, it's almost like, a, again, a glimpse into the future. Microgrids really are on the growth, as Sue alluded to earlier. Traditionally, it's, you've seen centralized generations so of big, big power stations. And there's been a shift away from that in generation with uh, micro with so that solar farms, wind farms, people using panels on the home. But we're now seeing EV charges more commonplace. We're seeing energy storage. We're seeing tidal sites. So you're seeing a lot more distributed generation, distributed storage, the growth in microgrids.
0: So in that brave new world then, which isn't that far away, you know, it's just on the horizon, we can see it now, thanks to Nova Innovation, we're kind of glimpsing what the future looks like. Chris, your work kind of looks ahead, you know, looks at that horizon and beyond. In this um, world that we're looking at, where we've got um, tidal powered electric cars, where we're driving around in an electrified decarbonized society, what does the climate and what does the weather look like? What can we expect?
3: I wish I had that crystal ball to give you that answer. Climate and, and the changing climate around us it has inherent uncertainties, and and I think therein is is the challenge is preparing all aspects of our society, not just what we're talking about here today, but all aspects of our society for either increased frequency or severity of some of the weather conditions that, that we see or perhaps we historically have been used to. But I think when you match that up with the innovation that's also coming from the weather and the climate side, the modelling, the our ability to forecast on longer timescales, I think in a very positive way, the opportunity actually is to work more closely with sectors exactly like um, the tidal uh, energy sector to future-proof and be prepared for changes either to environments where infrastructure currently is, or as mentioned a, a little bit earlier, environments where perhaps uh, as we move, say more offshore, increasingly risky environments that need to be a little bit prepared for. So I can't give you an answer, I'm afraid, to what the future will look like. But what I can say is the modelling and the prediction um, of what the, what the weather will be will become better as, as we go through time in the same way that the innovation uh, for the actual technology that is driving the energy in the first place will also uh, improve. So too, will our predictions and so too will our understanding of that. And I think the meeting point in the middle there is understanding the impacts and and being prepared for them.
1: I think it's beholden on all of us to make sure that we're delivering uh, a sustainable economy going forward and and that we understand that marine energy is important to decarbonisation. And I think, you know, ultimately that will only come through collaboration and working as a sector and working across the research organisations and across the great knowledge capacity we've got here in the UK to to deliver this sector. But we need to collaborate, we need to be clear on message, and I think we we do have solutions some of the challenges that both Chris
0: and others have recognised in delivering this technology. You can find more about ORE Catapult activities at ore.catapult.org.uk and you can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn using the handle at orecatapult.